Okay, so the difference in my research, the difference between fine art and illustration is that illustration is accompanied by text. It's accompanied by a story, whereas fine art is not. My name is Steve Haggerty, and I've written a book called Norman Rockwell's Models, In and Out of the Studio. I spent entire summers in West Arlington, Vermont, as a child. We still have our family place there. And my father was a freelance musician, so we spent full summers in Vermont, all 10 weeks when school was out. I wound up starting as a child working among Norman Rockwell's models. Started pitching in when I was young, haying and uh, working in a cow barn and, and so forth, right in the center of West Arlington, and swam under the red-covered bridge on the Village Green uh, with Norman Rockwell's house in the background. And many of his models joined us, and I would say there was only a few people, a few hundred people in the town. So I got to know them well. We have models reunions there. The Rockwell models come and get a big crowd, and they tell their stories. There's lots of fun and humor. And a man named Don Tracty, who organizes those reunions, he thought it would be a good idea for me to write a book after he read my first book, Cows in the Fog, and other poems and stories. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Our guest is uh, S.T. Haggerty, Steve Haggerty, author of Norman Rockwell's Models, In and Out of the Studio. Now, Norman Rockwell, famed uh, illustrator, artist uh, in America, moved to this part of Vermont, Arlington, and, and maybe it was specifically West Arlington, in 1940, and lived there for a number of years until the family uh, moved again to Stockbridge, Massachusetts? Yes, and people don't realize that Norman did his most known works, like the Four Freedoms, in West Arlington. Uh, he did live there for 14 years. The thing I realized when I started working on the book and telling people I was working on it, I uh, didn't realize how many people loved Norman Rockwell. And my daughter, when she was in school, art class, they talked about Norman Rockwell and his painting. So he's I'd say he's very much alive and well in the sense of his paintings, though. Did you live there while he was there? My understanding was you ne never have actually met Rockwell, or never actually met Rockwell. No, I never met Rockwell, and the author David McCullough said that it's better if you write a book sometimes not to have known the person because it makes you more curious. I know his sons, Tom and Jarvis. I met Peter. I know Jarvis well because we grew up in that same little village. Uh, of course, Jarvis is older. He's 91 and alive and well, uh, literally. Mm -hmm. And um, so we had a lot of conversations. Uh, met other family members, too, um, in the process of writing the book. I have two kind of uh, off-the-cuff uh, questions. Uh, first is, did Rockwell pay the models? Oh, yes. He paid them $5 each. A few people said they got $10 per session. Sometimes they modeled three times and got $15. Now, that might not sound like a lot, but I looked it up on Google. That's the equivalent of $100. So, from childhood. 
modeled for four hours, did pretty well. And also, uh, well, you were telling me it wasn't maybe one of the models, but somebody who worked with uh, Rockwell, uh, if somehow they picked up uh, some of Rockwell's paintings or maybe the sketches he did of them or something like that, those would be uh, worth a lot of money. Yes. Um, there's a story some people might have heard about my friend Don Trachty selling a painting called Breaking Home Ties. It was national news because the painting was lost for a year. A frantic search to find it. That story's in my book. And they ended up selling it for $16 million. Oh, Don's uh, Jr. did for his family. Don's father, Don Sr., so, uh, bought it in 1962 for 900 So I don't know what percentage profit that is, but it's pretty high. In the interest of full disclosure, I didn't never meet Rockwell either. But I lived in the Berkshires of Massachusetts, working radio news out of Pittsfield. And uh, Rockwell lived in Stockbridge, which was uh, some town south of uh, Pittsfield. And he was a major presence when I was working in the Berkshires. And I was there from 1969 to 1980. And it's one of those years there. He uh, he passed away. He was just so well-known that a lot of what he did was um, so much part of the life of the Berkshires, and I presume it was similar up there uh, in Vermont. But let me, let me go back to the story and get Rockwell situated in Vermont, and we can talk about one of the models. In fact, maybe I should ask you about one of them right now. I've got the book, a beautiful book, and um, I think the first model you talk about uh, has to do with shooting marbles. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, in the 1930s and 40s, uh, marbles was like about the biggest uh, childhood game in the country. Uh, children carried around bags of marbles, and in schoolyards, they'd make a circle in the dirt or the grass and shoot marbles, um, basically to kneel down and with their thumb flick the marble and try to knock each other's marbles out of the circle. And Norman wanted a red-headed girl with brown eyes. I think he had seen some picture in a magazine that he and the Post saw and um, based it on that. So he went over to nearby Cambridge, New York, which is uh, almost right next to West sure. Arlington, and he asked around, and he did find a red-headed girl, and she and her grandmother were thrilled to take her over to West Arlington. She um, had, I think, about 10 brothers and sisters, and she was the oldest taking care of them, and that was a wonderful day for her. And actually, she's shown beating the two boys at marbles. Um, mm -hmm. They have empty little uh, pouches in their pockets, and she has a large amount of marbles um, right at, you know, next to her as she's shooting. That was Ruth Skelly McLenathan, and she spoke all her life, different places and events about that experience with Rockwell. And uh, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas are Rockwell's biggest fans, and Steven Spielberg said that was a great example of cinematography. Another kind of off-the-wall question about Rockwell's models and, and the people he depicted uh, from America in his uh, magazine covers and other 
uh, paintings that he did. I don't know. It seems to me that he shows a bygone era in that the people he painted in general were thin. I mean, today we're a much fatter nation, chubby nation. And back then people were more thin, like, like Rockwell himself. Right. And uh, there are a, there's one I can think of that's an exception. It's a big cook who apparently cooks very well and eats very well. Did Rockwell hire models in his other places he lived? He lived over in New York State, and then he lived in, in Stockbridge. I mean, or did he only uh, hire models when he was living in uh, Vermont? I have um, a bunch of coincidences with Rockwell, and one of them is that where I work is in New Rochelle, New York, and he lived there for oh, 15 or 20 years and um, started out in 1916 there with the Saturday Evening Post and then other publications and did ads. When he started out, he was paying models. They were out-of-work actors usually, and back then those were popular models in the teens, 20s, and 30s. And, um, you know, he had to pay them pretty well. And back in those days, instead of sitting for half a day or something, they could linger on in his studio uh, for a couple days. But part of the reason he moved to Vermont is to get these working people in regular daily clothes. And um, he also found the people in Vermont less stiff than paid models, um, and he used them in their roles in life, a soldier, a soldier, spirited boy, spirited boy, and um, so forth. A farmer would be a farmer. Um, he'd find a farmer around town. And um, that's one of the reasons he moved to Vermont. He always wanted to live in the country, but these natural people were uh, really important to his paintings and in fact, he, he started to find city people boring to paint, all dressed up in these new suits and ties. And um, though he had many friends there, he got, um, you know, a little tired of uh, perfect attire and found those people in Vermont. And after he moved to Stockbridge, I do believe he did hire local folks as models. I knew one of them. I was telling you that before we uh, did the interview. I'm quite sure, uh, I seem to recall, his name was Dick Clemens. He was a state police sergeant, detective sergeant indeed, so somebody a reporter would talk to quite a, a bit back in the 1970s. And uh, Rockwell had Dick Clemens portray what he did. He had him dressed up in his state police uniform, and he was treating a runaway boy to lunch or something like that at a diner. Yes, and, and you know, all along the way, that makes for good authenticity to, you know, to have somebody who actually played the role all the way from their clothing to their mannerisms and, um, and the uh, spirit they exuded in the painting um, and the way they influenced other people you know, made for uh, a good painting. Norman Rockwell's Models in and Out of the Studio is the book uh, by Steve Haggerty. Did any of these models become really good friends of Rockwell's? Oh, yes. You know, in West Arlington, 
at our, on our village green. I call it our village green. I'm st- we still have our house there, and I like to hang out there still. There's a little old white 1802 church, a dance pavilion, a long field, and the red-covered bridge where we would swim. And so Rockwell, living on River Road there, went a mile or two each way and and got a couple hundred models. So if you lived around there and, and he met you, you had a good chance of showing up in the painting. And in my day there, which I got there as a little boy in 1961, all the models were still there. And I learned that they uh, served as a support staff, really. Um, uh, the older kids babysitted his children, babysat his children. Um, they helped in the house when Norman would have parties. Uh, his artist friends would come over. They helped prepare food, wash dishes, and um, he and he became very friendly with him because he told everybody in West Arlington, "Call me Norman." Kids and adults both, and um, he got to know them. He attended many events in town, church suppers, and uh, his children were in school. He attended sports events. Oh, art shows, and oh, he he was a member of the Grange, so he really mixed business and pleasure and enjoyed these people, um, their company, and um, had a good time. Very good sense of humor, a lot of laughs there for him, and, you know, a lot of genuine good times. So, yes, they knew him uh, very well. In fact, next door was his favorite Boy Scout, Buddy Edgerton. Yeah, so he just walked across mm-hmm. the yard, and Buddy was there, a you know, fine-looking young man who liked to camp, hunt, and fish. And the, although he was not a Boy Scout, a good bo- model, and they became lifelong friends. Rockwell had lived, I think you said, in New Rochelle, in a more kind of citified area, or kind of within the orbit of New York City. And I think you used the phrase something like the Vermont experience that he sought uh, up there in uh, West Arlington. What is the Vermont experience? Norman grew up in New York City, and he was, you know, he wrote about in his autobiography, uh, thin and a little pigeon-toed and sort of frail. His brother was the captain of the Mamaroneck New York football team. That's right next to New New Rochelle, New York. And so he really didn't like city life. And after he vacationed in the country as a child, his dream was always to live in the country, to just get around regular folks, you know, the cows and horses, the fresh air, the river, um, just to really live a more casual life um, in a small town. And I, I think, too, that gave him more time to paint um, in a more secluded area. Let me go back to the uh, models and the, and the specific pictures, and you have illustrations in your uh, book of these things, Norman Rockwell models in and out of the studio. The one that caught my eye uh, was the one, I don't know what Rockwell called the picture, but I've seen it many times. Um, it was a, a painting of a man standing and addressing a Vermont town meeting. Um, 
Well, anyway, is that familiar to you as well? Oh, yes. That, that's, you know, one of my three favorites. Um, that's called Freedom of Speech, and that was a World War II painting inspired by President Roosevelt's For Freedom Speech. Uh, briefly, uh, Roosevelt, during World War II, had to make a speech to rally the American public to supply arms to Europe. You know, France and England were, you know, severely bombed, and uh, President Roosevelt decided to speak to the American people, who were then isolationists, about freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom from fear, and freedom from want, because those were the thing our country enjoys, especially throughout, you know, much of American history, and that if we didn't help in England, Hitler, who had designs to also bring down the United States, if he succeeded, we'd lose our four freedoms. So Norman was so inspired, and he went to our local gas station there and got Carl Hess, who uh, owned the gas station. And, you know, I knew Carl for, oh, 15, 20 years. Um, that was a 1943 painting. I knew him when he was a little older, but uh, Norman walked into his gas station and he said, Carl, you got a noble head. And uh, <laughs> Carl kidded him as uh, that self-deprecating humor. And he said, yes, but there ain't much brains in it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Norman probably said, there ain't much brains in mine either. And so he brought um, Carl to the studio, and they did that painting, which was based on Norman's next-door neighbor, Jim Edgerton, who spoke at a town meeting. And he had an unpopular opinion, but everybody listened to it, um, as we do in those small towns a lot, because you have to make very important rational decisions and they decided that they didn't like his opinion but they heard him out so the man that's depicted was not the one who spoke i was wondering if he if he enjoyed speaking the, the gas station owner maybe not maybe just he had that look well he had that look and i don't know that he did enjoy speaking but he was i have um pictures of him he was very uh tall slender and handsome and that uh with that lincoln-esque sort of look you know that was his appearance that um sort of commanding appearance we're talking with uh, steve haggerty whose book is norman rockwell's models in and out of the studio and i've been uh, throwing in some of my memories of living in the berkshires of massachusetts when um rockwell and his family lived in Stockbridge, and they, they live right in Stockbridge itself, um, as I recall. And the one print that is in my family, and I am kind of forget which family member has it, but supposedly we have a print of Main Street Stockbridge, which was one of um, Rockwell's paintings. Um, you know, we have a print of it. We don't have the original painting, but supposedly he signed it. So that was uh, something that uh, is treasured by our family. 
there is something in that painting that he added that people don't realize is there. Some people do. There's a mountain in the background, and there isn't one in Stockbridge. <laughs> That's right. But in fact, the the street. This again, I was there in the 1970s. It was about the time of of Arlo Guthrie being famous for the song Alice's Restaurant. And I don't know if you can see Alice's Restaurant in this painting, but it was called something else, um, the, the restaurant, but it was behind where um, Rockwell lived. And where Rockwell lived was the original museum, if I remember correctly. They called it the Old Corner House? Yes. So when Norman moved in 1953, uh, he basically carried on in a very similar way. Later, at one point, um, people started to realize there was a value to his paintings, and um, people had collected some. He did give a lot away. People, Some people got very wealthy from paintings he gave away. You asked me that before. won't digress too much, but his painting called Saying Grace, and an elderly woman and her grandson praying at a busy train station, which he did in... Uh, set in Troy, New York. Um, he gave that to Ken Stewart, the art director of the Saturday Evening Post, who eventually worked at the Reader's Digest, but that's another story. Mm-hmm. Um, that sold for $46 million. So the Stewart family, who his children later sold it, did quite well with that. Um, so yes, and... Um, when he continued in Stockbridge, he, his uh, two sons, Tom and Jarvis, who were models in, Tom was a model in New Rochelle, Arlington, and then again in Stockbridge. And Jarvis Rockwell, his, his other son, also uh, carried on there, as did that Boy Scout model I mentioned, uh, Buddy Edgerton, who is in a Stockbridge painting and um actually is one called girl in the mirror mm-hmm. did um a, a woman named mary whale and a friend of mine who's still much very much alive and well he actually painted that over in, in stockbridge and um i've been getting over there and talking to people there which is um and very interesting part of his life. And I, I don't know if you'll be offended I bring this up, but my understanding, and maybe incomplete or incorrect, was that the reason he and his family left Vermont was he needed psychiatric help. And Stockbridge has a psychiatric hospital called the Austin Riggs Center. Uh, he needed the help, I guess, primarily for his wife, but maybe also for himself. Now, his son Jarvis said, they all benefited from a man named Eric Erickson, who's one of the, uh, if you study psychology, he's, he's on the, like the second tier below Freud and Carl Jung, a most uh, practical man. But Jarvis uh, thinks that was wonderful what his father did. Uh, Mrs. Rockwell had some depression and uh, drank a little too much to... Um, you know, sort of as medicine. And um, so she needed treatment, and it was a long drive from for Norman from Vermont. And um, 
So she was treated there. Um, son, uh, the wife of a very famous man, a woman who worked too hard. They noticed in Arlington she kind of wore herself out. And uh, yes, that was a good thing for her. And Norman also um, had treatment with Eric Erickson. But uh, Norman's son Jarvis, who has a great sense of humor, he'll laugh and say that um, that uh, Erickson basically would sit and listen to Norman as Norman painted. And uh, Jarvis said he uh, Erickson didn't take a screwdriver out of his pocket to take Norman apart and put him back together <laughs> because he thought it might ruin the painting machine. <laughs> and uh, Norman and Mr. Erickson became, or I guess Dr. Erickson became good friends. And then uh, Dr. Erickson suggested to Jarvis that he moved to San Francisco because Jarvis was having a, an identity crisis. And uh, Dr. Erickson coined the term identity crisis. So mm -hmm. that came at a very good time for Jarvis. And uh, so he moved out west and worked and, uh, you know, started to become more his own person. So, yes, um, um, and, and for Mrs. Rockwell, they didn't have all the treatments, you know, like rehabs and Alcoholics Anonymous. So back then, um, people, you know, were given a lot of heavy drugs and stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, people really liked her in Arlington. Um, she had gone to Stanford University in California, and um, these kids, you know, they were fascinated by a woman who was always working on writing. You know, she would also pick up the kids who were models and really encourage them. Some went to college because of her. Again, our Boy Scout model, Buddy Edgerton, went to college because of Mrs. Rockwell encouraging him. So really nice memories of, of her in Arlington. And in terms of artistry, uh, Rockwell was, um, I don't know if the word is deplored, but he was dismissed by um, some art critics because his work was too simple or too sentimental, kitschy, I guess you'd say. But uh, over time, uh, he's it seems to me, has uh, come into a reputation that he truly was a, a fine artist. Okay, so the difference, you know, in, in my research, the difference between fine art and illustration is that illustration is accompanied by text. It's accompanied by a story, whereas fine art is not. That's the major distinguishing line. And um, some of Norman's paintings, I think, would be considered um, fine art. Some are, you know, even if people are smiling in some of them, there's um, there's some that are very serious and um, I think would be considered fine art. Although, um, you know, he did add some things sometimes, like some clues in the painting that, you know, people might think are a little contrived, but um, or some of the expressions are a little stronger, uh, like somebody who was 
really impressed that he might have made it look a little more, um, a little exaggerated than somebody's face would be to put emphasis and grab the viewer. But uh, certainly some of them are quite realistic. Steve Haggerty is author of Norman Rockwell's Models In and Out of the Studio. Haggerty's book details these models' uh, lives, friendships with the artist, and experiences in Rockwell's studio, primarily when uh, Rockwell was uh, living in West Arlington, Vermont. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast. Uh, do keep us in mind with our fundraising campaign. We have our GoFundMe campaign uh, that you can find the link to on our website, bobcudmore.com, or you can uh, send a check to Bob Cudmore to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.